0: All of those books are available on Amazon as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show.
1: I knew when I felt that click that this was connected to my purpose here. This was somehow connected to me serving humanity in some way, right? I figured it'd be in the fitness industry, and I have videos like of me. 310 pounds, talking to the camera, saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to get a six pack and I'm going to help other people lose weight as well. Like I was still fat saying this stuff. And again, I didn't even understand the concept of speaking things into reality at the time. It was just me speaking from my heart. And I made all of these proclamations over my life. Hello, friends,
0: and welcome back to The Light Watkins Show, where I interview ordinary folks just like you and me who've taken extraordinary leaps of faith in the direction of their path, their purpose, or what they've identified as their mission. And in doing so, they've been able to positively impact and inspire the lives of many other people who've either heard about their story or who've witnessed them in action or people who've directly benefited from their work. And this week on the show, I'm back in conversation with someone who I originally interviewed back in episode 14, which aired almost three years ago in August of 2020. His name is Robert Glover, but he's better known by his YouTube handle, which is Bricks Fitness. Bricks is a YouTuber who documents his personal transformation of losing over 150 pounds and going from what he refers to as Fat Bricks, which is the old version of him, to becoming Fit Bricks, which is the current version. His first video, which he posted when he only had about 50 subscribers, was a video that he literally threw together in under an hour, and he improvised this sort of voiceover narration, And it was a video that depicted the transformation using clips that he had collected over the years. This was many, many years ago. And that was the video that I originally saw that made me want to have bricks on my podcast back in 2020. And he said that when the video went live within a few weeks, he started getting thousands of new subscribers a day. The video was going viral. And it now has over 6 million views, and that isn't even the most viewed video on his channel. So you know me, I wanted to know all about the backstory of how he built this YouTube channel, which isn't something that we went super deep into during our last interview, because we spent most of that time talking about his childhood and his developmental years and things like that. So I decided to ask Brick back onto my podcast and to question him about what does it take to start a YouTube channel from the perspective of someone out there, perhaps listening to this conversation who may have aspirations of sharing whatever you're passionate about on a platform like YouTube. And I have to put myself in that category as well, because I've certainly thought about being more intentional about building my YouTube channel as well by sharing more of my story, more of my personal life, creating vlogs, etc. So we get into the nuts and bolts of what it takes to start a YouTube channel. And then Bricks also walks us through what it takes to build the channel, because what it takes to start is not necessarily going to be the same thing as what it takes to build the channel. So we get into the numbers of how much YouTubers make from having a certain amount of subscribers and views, and it's probably more than you imagine. And as a case study, we use a personal experience of Brix's that he's documented on his channel a few times of going what he calls monk mode, which is going without sex. Sometimes it's going without releasing, going without social media going without all kinds of things that would make us cringe and he created videos about his process and i wanted him to talk about how from a content creator's perspective how he thinks about documenting his life and incorporating the people in his life his sometimes his partners his family his kids he's had everybody in some of these videos And again, this is all from the perspective of helping you see any ideas that you may have about content creation through the lens of someone who has three quarters of a million followers and who is a full time content creator. And hopefully it will inspire you to take the next step in transforming your ideas into some sort of consumable content. So I'm excited to share this conversation with you. If you hear it and you want to know more about Bricks, definitely check out our first episode, which again is episode number 14, or maybe start with episode number 14 and then listen to this one. It's up to you. But Bricks' story is fascinating. There are many levels to it, and I'm excited for you to hear it. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here is my conversation with my dear friend and my brother from another mother, Mr. Robert Bricks Glover. Robert Bricks Fit Glover,
1: <laughs>
0: back on the podcast. What's up, man?
1: It is an honor. Again, one of my favorite interview words, for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm excited about this. I don't know if you noticed how quickly I responded to your text message. <laughs> when, you, when you asked me, I'm like, of course, let's do it.
0: Beautiful. That last interview was a couple of years ago, right? It was like Mm -hmm. back in I think it was like in 2020 or maybe 2021. You were one of the first, I think, 50 interviews I did on this podcast back when it was called At the End of the Tunnel. And we went through your whole backstory growing up, Brooklyn, and how you became what you referred to as Fat Bricks. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I remember because my assistant at the time got triggered. She thought I was engaging in body shaming by using mm. that term and you using the term. and The whole conversation triggered her. So she ended up quitting over, <laughs> over, over, the over, con- that. over that
1: conversation.
0: Well, that was one of the things oh, that, okay. that prompted kind of, her to
1: quit. The thing that kind of pushed her over the edge. One
0: of the things. I mean, but anyway, she was. We uh, won't get into that. <laughs> yeah, We don't have to get that's a whole other podcast <laughs> conversation. But she, she was regretful later. She was apologetic mm. later. The thing is with getting triggered is it yanks you out of your authenticity it yanks you out of the present moment, mm-hmm. puts you into some story you have in your head about mm-hmm. something that's based on conclusions that you jump to and assumptions, and so that's why it's so valuable to engage in practices that help to shield you from getting triggered as often as you would otherwise. I mean we all get triggered on occasion but some people more than others. And that's what I keep coming back to in my content when I'm talking about meditation and and these kinds of stillness practices and gratitude. It's just even the fact that it keeps you from getting triggered is enough of a reason to invest in it on a daily basis. And not just uh,
1: the prevention of the trigger, but more of the awareness of when you're in that state is just as valuable, I think.
0: Because you could also make the argument that the trigger is just a byproduct of telling yourself these stories and operating with blind spots over and over and over and then like a pressure cooker it just anything can kind of make it blow up so Mm -hmm. you've been a pretty i would say devout meditator since well i don't know how long before we met but definitely since we connected because then you got to hold up bliss more which is the book the how-to meditation book that i wrote and i remember us having that conversation because we became friends you joined the men's group that i was in and so We started connecting just kind of offline a lot more. And you reached out to me about meditation and I tried to enroll you in getting a copy of Bliss more. So let's talk about your experiences with that book. How did your meditation practice change one way or the other?
1: So I think like most people, the beginning, I guess, chapters of my meditation journey, there was a lot of wrestling that I did with the idea that it was supposed to look and feel a certain way. Right? And I think that chapter was maybe like the first two or three years where I'm like, yeah, man, my mind won't shut off. I mean, my mind won't quiet down. I'm not experiencing these states, these states of gratitude and just like bliss, right? I I thought that was supposed to happen every single time that I sat on the mat. So what Blissmore did, it started by refereeing the battle that I was having with myself during meditation and then eventually it just ended the war which wow as you can assume you know was transformational it transformed my entire meditation experience so that's if i had to sum up how blissmore took my meditation practice to the next level it's that it ended it ended the war with myself during meditation
0: i love that description it ended the war <laughs> yeah. i think a lot of people can relate to that so many people are in a war with their mind without realizing it. And it's just not productive. When that war ends, you start to see how much mental effort you're wasting by trying to regulate and control your thoughts and your mind and how liberating it feels when that's no longer happening. And you're Mm -hmm. allowing your mind to be what I call free range, just to be, Mm -hmm. you know, just roam around freely. Beautiful.
1: When it connected for me, it felt like the biggest release It felt like a huge release. And I felt lighter in the experience, excuse the pun. But it was an instant transformational moment for me. It was just something about the way you worded it in the book that it it created that click moment for me. My meditation experience has never been the same. So let me, again, thank you for writing that book and, and for walking your path, man, because you know I'm an advocate for that book. I recommend that book. I bought the book for fifteen to twenty people. I've recommended it to um, probably thousands. So, thank you.
0: That's where I wanted to go next in this conversation. Is you have a massive audience. You have over three quarters of a million subscribers on this YouTube channel that you've been using for the last how many years now to track your personal transformation. First, it started off physically,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and now it's starting to move into sort of more of a lifestyle, spiritual area. And you post all kinds of every little experiment you do, you post about it. And something that I've been watching over the last couple of years that I don't know a lot about, but I I thought we could use this time to kind of unpack because I think it could be helpful for other people is the experiment of the monk mode. I've heard you say you were going monk mode or also known as no fap. And I don't know what that actually means So would love to talk about that, but I would also love to talk about it in the context of you building this YouTube channel because I'm sure a lot of people out here listening to this have had the idea of starting a YouTube channel. And so I think it'd be useful for us to talk a little bit about that as well. Myself included, like I've thought about doing what you do and you know, seeing you with all these subscribers. Honestly, it's a little bit intimidating. It's like, oh, it's going to be so much work. And I see how much work you're putting into it. And we've had talks, again, offline talking about the processes and what it actually entails. But I guess a better place for us to kind of frame this conversation is through the mindset. You know, what kind of mindset do you have to be in to start something like that? And what keeps you moving forward? What kind of mindset keeps you moving forward? Mm -hmm. Because I imagine building a YouTube channel and going month mode, have a lot of overlaps and similarities. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So really quickly, just to catch the listeners up, just give us a montage of your history leading up to your transformation and where you are today.
1: Yeah, so quick overview. I graduated college in 2011. At the time, I'm 150, 60 pounds overweight. I get in trouble with the law, right? I lose my job. I lose my family. I lose my sanity you know i'm in a really depressed place i anticipated taking my own life and in that dark place is where i i decided to find a way to take control of my life and i would brainstorm like yo what can i put energy into that would essentially be you know the first domino like uh, that's kind of how i tell the story the first domino that kind of knocks down everything else and kind of fixes my life. So I decided to go on this weight loss journey. And the weight loss journey kind of turned into a personal development journey because at the same time, I discovered the power of my mind and I started reading books on spirituality and and these sort of things. So the intention and the energy shifted from just weight loss to just becoming a better human and to find inner peace and find a way to serve people. So that weight loss slash personal development journey started in 2013. I felt something click, Like It was like, I woke up one day, literally, it was March 1st, 2013. And I felt that my life would never be the same. I felt like something just snapped inside of me. And maybe a week or two later, I just decided to start documenting it all. Right. Because it just felt profound. It felt like this was the beginning of something profound. At the time, I didn't have language for it because I wasn't really connected to my spiritual self yet. Right. But I felt this deep inspiration to just make sure that I'm documenting this because these days just felt important. So I started filming blurbs of me just kind of talking about what I'm going through and what I'm experiencing and, and my, my weight loss journey and this, that, and the third. Right. And YouTube was never really on my radar. I didn't really watch YouTube. I didn't really know anything about the platform at all. But I've always kind of been a documenter from before social media, right? I had the camcorder. You know, I was the guy walking around the party with the camcorder, you know, with the tapes and the mini DVs and all that. I think I've always been that. I've always valued capturing moments. So I documented my weight loss journey pretty closely. And after I lost all the weight, let me rewind a little bit. I knew when I felt that click that this was connected to my purpose here, right? This was somehow connected to me serving humanity in some way, right? I figured it'd be in the fitness industry because... I And I have videos like of me, 310 pounds, talking to the camera saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to get a six pack and I'm going to help other people lose weight as well. Like I was still fat, right? Saying this stuff. And again, I didn't even understand the concept of speaking things into reality at the time. It was just me speaking from my heart. And I made all of these proclamations over my life. So after I lost the weight, I got my personal training certification, right? And at the time, I am a personal trainer in a big box gym. I'm working in Gold's Gym. I mean, YMCA in LA, right in tunnel. And I ended up moving back to Virginia to be closer to my kids. And the trainer hours are terrible. 4 a.m. till about 11. And then the evening hours. So I had no time to really spend with my kids. And so at the time, there was this emerging field of online coaching, right? That was kind of the beginning of the whole online coaching push. So I said, okay, how can I... Build this online coaching business, right? I wanted to serve people and I also had this desire to serve more people than I was able to do working in the gym with them one on one, right? I can only have what six or seven, 10 clients a day. So Gary V at the time was just like starting to blow up and he would talk about content marketing, right? You need to establish yourself as an expert in the space. That's how you build the trust of the people. Like they have to know who you are. They have to no no like and trust factor, right? Then you got to build the no like and trust factor. I started on Instagram, and then I said, you know what? I've been procrastinating for years about starting a YouTube channel. It was always, oh, I don't have the right equipment. I don't know how to edit. I was totally clueless about the platform, right? But one day I just said, you know what? I'm just going to start with where I am, right? So I set my phone on the dresser and i said yo stop thinking about it stop trying to plan stop waiting for the perfect moment and just turn the camera on and just speak right whatever at the time i didn't understand the the concept of detachment and so i just took the step right and let me tell you like i had been procrastinating maybe about for 2 years because again equipment all these other excuses the day i posted my first youtube video i had a friend call me and say, Hey, I got this brand new SLR, right? a $1,800 camera. He's like, yo, I don't use this thing. Please come get it. Just like that. Right. And it was because I just took the step. I just took the step. So anyway, YouTube, initially, I had no expectations for it to like blow up. That was never the vision. The vision of initially was for one, I felt almost obligated To share the things that I had learned during my weight loss process. Right. It's like, bro, you cannot keep this to yourself. Like I had this entirely new reality where I'd crawled out of this dark place and it's like now I'm in this paradise, what it felt like at least, where there's unicorns flying around. I'm like, bro, I have to get people here. Right. So I have to share what I learned to help them get to this place. So that's partly what it was. And then it was also, I want to establish myself as an expert in the space so I can get some online coaching clients. Now I'm trying to reach people locally. right? That was the initial vision. And I mentioned that I'd been documenting all of my weight loss journey from the beginning. And I'm searching around on YouTube and I, I stumbled across some transformation videos. I'm like, oh shit, these are pretty dope. I got some footage. I could throw some stuff together, right? Like when I tell you that video maybe took me 25 minutes to make. I just randomly picked some clips. I threw them in iMovie and I played it and I closed my eyes and I said, just speak, just talk, right? I opened my eyes and I watched the video and I just poured whatever came out. One take, I promise you, one take. It took me fifteen minutes to throw the clips in an iMovie, and then it took me ten minutes to just record the voiceover, and that was it. I posted it. I had no expectations. I didn't expect it to go viral. I'm just
0: gonna play a little bit of it, just so that they can hear your monologue. Because that was the best part of it for me. Was mm. was these the missions monologue.
1: where I would crash and burn at the end and end up gaining back every ounce that I lost. It was a vicious cycle that went on for way too long. I didn't feel good about myself. My self-esteem was shot. It was ruining my relationships. It was ruining my life. I just got under force. And um, I was having thoughts of suicide. I had just recently gotten in some trouble. And had my whole life turned upside down. And I had to do something to take control. So I decided to transform my body.
0: Dude, that was off the dome. That was just one take Jay-Z one, style.
1: <laughs> yes. One take straight off the dome. Like, I promise. Wow. Man. Yeah. What about the
0: music? Did you hear the music as you were speaking or the music came later?
1: I don't remember, to be honest. Because that's like
0: the perfect music for the
1: back. Yeah. It just all came together so divinely, bro. It, it just it was meant, you know, it, it was just meant to to happen that way. I don't remember if the music came first or if I put it in during post, but yeah, it just came together so brilliantly, man. And yeah. So when it went viral, my mind, uh, look, I'm getting goosebumps right now. It was like a defining moment. It, I knew my life would never be the same.
0: Did it go viral right away? Like how many subscribers did you have before and then after?
1: Went I had 53 subscribers when I posted it. And then it probably took two weeks for it to really start picking up. But I was doing, bro, I, every human being that I made contact with in real life or online, I would share this stuff with. Every human being I made contact with, I would ask to subscribe to my channel. I mean, literally, I'm not even exaggerating when I say every human being. Strangers in the street, people at the gym, like whoever i cross paths with, they were getting a request to subscribe to my channel and to watch this video. So it took about two weeks for it to pick up. And I started getting a thousand subscribers a day. And that went on for maybe six weeks or eight weeks, something like that, where I was literally getting between 500 and a thousand subscribers every single day. And I'm like, yo, what, is going on right now. It was blowing my mind because I started posting videos. I'm like, oh shit, I gotta make some content. And people were asking me for vlogs. I didn't know what the hell a vlog was at the time. I had just learned how to use iMovie. So I didn't I didn't know anything. I had no clue what I was doing. So yeah, that's kind of the apex or the genesis of my YouTube story.
0: Were you selling something for that first video? Did you have a course online, anything no, you're selling?
1: No, I had nothing. I, I was totally unprepared to capitalize on the traffic. But I didn't know that YouTube was a business. I didn't know people were making, mm. building brands. I had no clue people were selling products. I didn't know any of that stuff when I got on YouTube. I got on YouTube, like I said, because I'm like, all right, this will help me get some in-person clients or I mean, some online, some online clients. That's what it was. I was trying to build online clients. But yeah, I didn't know anything about digital products. I didn't know anything about sales funnels. I didn't know anything about merch. I, I didn't know anything. I was totally oblivious to the entire YouTube world.
0: Hey there, really quickly. Have you wanted to find your purpose or be more grateful or start a daily meditation practice, but you're not quite sure where to begin? Well, if inner work is like a drop of water, the HappinessInsiders.com is like your ocean. That's my online community where you can learn real-world techniques for cultivating more fulfillment from the inside out. So whether it's learning how to manifest abundance or access your potential or overcome fear or even just start walking every day, I've got a blueprint for you, which means you no longer have to use any more shoddy guesswork. And you don't have to use the lone wolf approach to improving yourself. For a small accountability fee, you'll get community, you'll get accountability directly from me, and you'll get comprehensive instructions for getting your meditation practice off the ground. And for my podcast listeners, you'll receive 30% off of the all-access pass if you go to thehappinessinsiders.com right now and use the promo code HAPPY. Again, thehappinessinsiders.com Enter the promo code HAPPY, and you'll get 30% off on a yearly all-access pass, which gives you access to dozens of inner work challenges and masterclasses, such as my 108-day meditation challenge, which has an 80% completion rate. Plus, you get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's the thehappinessinsiders.com. The code is HAPPY. All right, back to the episode. I watched a Mr. Beast video, who's a big YouTuber, probably the biggest YouTuber in the world. And his whole thing is, if you want to get into the YouTube game, just start making content and don't even think about quality in the first 100 videos. Just make those 100 videos, try to improve one thing per video. And then by the time you do all that, then you can think about working algorithms and trying to optimize different aspects of the video. So just give us a little montage of the next step. Once you had the viral video, you said you had to create more content to support the audience that was coming. How did you approach that?
1: I started off just making tips videos, right? Because I think that's what everyone was doing.
0: Like this is how you do a bicep curl or that or what?
1: Yeah, like how to eat healthy on a budget. The first five exercises you should be doing as a beginner. Or and how
0: did you come up with these topics?
1: I would just search on YouTube. I would see what people were asking for. Mainly, I would ask my audience. I would ask my audience. I would engage with people in the comment section. I would see what they were asking me. If they made it if they asked a question that I thought would make a good video. Then I made the video about it. So, between my YouTube search and just listening to my audience, that's how I crafted my content.
0: And did you develop a style right away? Were you trying to emulate Casey, whatever his name is, or somebody like that? Or who was your sort of avatar when you were initially creating once you did the transformational video?
1: Yeah. So, when it came to vlogs, right? When my audience started asking me for vlogs, that's the first person who I came across when I researched vlogs. It was Casey Neistat. And I actually have a crazy Casey Neistat story. I don't know. We'll, we, we don't have to get into that right now. But. Yeah, let's, let's get into it. If you have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But OK, so I, I'll get back to the Casey thing. So Casey Neistat was the person I tried to emulate, which was the worst person to try to emulate because he's the GOAT. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's and like
0: emulating Michael Jordan. Yeah, exactly. I, did,
1: I didn't even know how to turn the camera on, <laughs> let alone edit the way that Casey did. Anyway, so the Casey story. So I'm living in my van, 2022, 21, something like that. Anyway, one of those years. And I'm in LA, All right? I'm in El Segundo and I'm interviewing a videographer for the channel. And I told this videographer that I was taking Casey Neistat's monthly course at the time. He had a course on monthly that where he was teaching people his insider editing tricks, right? How Takes us A to Z through his creation process. So I'm taking this monthly course at the time and I'm interviewing the videographer outside the coffee shop, right? On the corner. So I turn the computer around to show him some of the stuff from the course. I look up and I see Casey's Land Rover at the light, right? And I'm like, this is not happening right now. This shit is crazy. I said, Yo, Case. He opens his window and I put the computer up and I showed him his monthly course. He's like, Holy shit, he pulls over, right? <laughs> so I tell the videographer, start rolling, right? Just start rolling. <laughs> I run up to his truck. He's like, yo, that's cool as hell, man. Do you want to go surfing with me? I got an extra board in the back. Like, what? Fuck yes. I had jeans on. Like, (laughs) I'm like, fuck yes. I jumped in my van and I met him at El Segundo Beach. We had a three hour conversation while waiting for waves, bro. And it changed my life. Like, just that interaction with Casey Neistat, who was my YouTube hero. Who was my youtube hero and when i tell you it's just me and him on the water the videographers on the rocks kind of trying to get like long distance footage of, of everything but we like connected on a soul level bro he's telling me deep secrets from his marriage and it's it was such an experience bro it's hard it's so hard to articulate it was huge it was life-changing
0: at that point you had a significant number of subscribers too so he could probably he's but he didn't know that before he
1: he didn't know that before he invited me to surf. And this is the thing that I love about Casey and, and a lot of the successful people that I've had the honor of kind of getting close to. They're just great fucking humans, bro. Like just mm-hmm. great humans. And he's just one of those guys. And it, yeah, I was just very blessed by that experience.
0: Did you know how to surf or had you taken I surfing lessons? This is lessons? my
1: first time on a surfboard ever, bro. But the, and it was freezing and I'm in my freaking boxers i didn't care i wasn't gonna say no to surfing with casey neistat <laughs> you Uh-oh. know yeah it was sick
0: you have pictures obviously
1: yes i have pictures i have it i have well, i have the works so i'll send it to you
0: did you make a video out of it did you do a I youtube never, video I like, never. this no. time i went surfing with casey neistat
1: Nah, i never did anything with the footage but you know it's in the tuck i'll probably do something with it one day
0: So what was Casey doing in his videos when you first started studying him that you said he wasn't a good example to start with? So what was he doing that made you feel like that? And what did you do instead?
1: He had a lot of camera tricks. He has a very intricate filming. See, Casey's a filmmaker, right? So it was very technical. His style was very technical but he he was an amazing storyteller but he was more of a visual storyteller and i just didn't have the skill set to achieve a 16th of what he was doing with his videos at the time but instead you know i watched other vloggers there was like more simple vlogging styles that i came across that i'm like hey you know what i'm just going to try this and it was just point and shoot. Hey, this is what I'm doing. It always felt silly to me because I personally had never gotten into vlogs. I still don't really understand why people watch them. I personally don't watch them. I don't really get much out of it. So I think that was a hindrance, honestly, on my ability to become a better vlogger is because I didn't really understand the psychology behind the viewer who watched vlogs. So I did my best But I've recently, if we can fast forward a little bit, I've recently realized that I've spent the last maybe five years, six years making a lot of mistakes when it comes to my video creation process. And the reason why my channel, I get a lot of subscribers, but my views aren't where they should be. And it's because I was a lazy creator. I stayed in that first, I guess, season where you're just like putting out content. I kind of got stuck there. And I never, I never started, I'm not gonna say never, but I didn't put as much effort and planning into my videos as I should have. So if you notice, I don't know if you've watched the last two videos that I just put out, I've recently have shifted my entire creation process, right? Which is, and I'm gonna speak this into existence right now, my channel is about to explode. We're gonna hit a million subscribers for sure by the end of the year, but not just the, the subscribers, by the beginning of 2024, every video is going to be at least 100,000 views. I'm speaking of that right now. I've figured it out.
0: So let's talk about the uh, changes. What were you not doing in those early days? Because, you know, the thing is, and this is where it gets interesting when it comes to talking to a creator who's been in the game for years now. Like the thing you do to get started is not the same thing you would do to grow the channel. So talk about that contrast. What's the thing you do to get started? And then what's the thing that you would do? You you went from what half a million up to 775,000 or 76,000 now. How did that happen? Was mm-hmm. it about posting more personal content? Was it about getting views or longer engagement times? Like, what, what was the thing that you found got you the most traction after you had started?
1: To answer the first part of your question, what I did to get started was just there was a lot of volume, right? Mm. I put out a lot of videos. And what that did was it created this habit of kind of shortcutting and not putting in a lot of the preparation for the video. It was, oh, I got an idea for a video. Maybe I would spend 10 minutes, 20 minutes writing a few notes down, and then I would just turn on the camera. And I kind of got stuck there for too long. Also, the algorithm changed. I've been on YouTube since 2016. So it's been a while. A lot of things changed. The viewer, the psychology of the viewer, the habits of the viewer has changed a lot, right? So I don't want to down myself too much, but I know I've been a lazy creator. And it wasn't because I've been lazy. it, It just, that was the habit that I picked up. It was more like focus on volume, get the videos out, get the videos out. Whereas now it's like, I would rather put out one or two videos a month that are bangers, that are like really impactful, that are really going to create micro transformations in the minds and the hearts of my viewers. I would rather do that than put out eight videos a month that are just like, yeah. So that's the biggest shift that I've made as a creator as of late. But to answer your question about getting from 500, I think honestly, despite the fact that I feel like I haven't been putting in the effort, it was just the energy, the heart in the videos that allowed my channel to keep growing regardless, which is why I feel so confident about the explosion that's about to happen, because now I am marrying the heart and the, you know, the passion and the transparency and all the emotional stuff to the mechanics of what creates good content and what keeps people engaged. And, you know, the hooks and the B-roll and the second camera and the audio quality, like these things matter so much. And I had no clue that it mattered so much. So again, that's why I feel so confident about this next season. is because I figured that out.
0: The transformation video got millions of views. That's obviously your biggest video to date. No? It is not.
1: I have probably two or three videos that got more views than that.
0: Wow. So what are the numbers like? If you're looking at somebody's YouTube channel and they have a certain number of subscribers, call it a million subscribers, and their videos are getting 200, 300, 500,000 views, is that making them money? Can you live off of that? Is that significant? What do those numbers look like just yeah. as a fictitious YouTube creator, content creator?
1: Let's say a content creator has a million plus subscribers and he's doing upwards of 200,000 views per video. And he's doing, let's say six videos a month. I mean, obviously YouTube income compounds over time because your old videos I have videos from eight, six, seven years ago that are still getting 30, 40,000 views a month. Right? So that, It compounds over time. But yeah, so let's say he's this content creator who has over a million subscribers. He's getting 200,000 views. Let's say he's been on the platform for three or four years. Yeah, he's making, right? Obviously, it depends on the space, right? Because the CPM, right? Which is your cost per mil, right? Is going to vary depending on who you're reaching, right? But I'd estimate, right? If they're in the fitness space, they're probably making maybe between 8 and 12 grand a month from just mm. YouTube AdSense revenue, for sure.
0: Is it about the number of subscribers or the number of views or the length of time people watch it? Or what? what, what it's, they-
1: it's, it's the views. Ultimately, it comes down to the views. All of those things kind of go into the equation, but ultimately the creators are paid based on how many eyeballs, that their content gets onto the advertisements. So that's really what it's about. But if you have higher engagement, if people watch your videos longer, then the algorithm is gonna push your video and you're gonna get more views. So it all kind of goes into the gumbo that is that creates the success of the channel, but it's ultimately about views.
0: So that's a really healthy six-figure salary from posting six videos a month. Now, take us through when it comes to posting a video, how much time and energy is involved in you thinking of a concept, you breaking out your camera when we're talking early days here. So before you may have a team and all that, but Mm -hmm. you breaking out your camera and shooting the thing and reshooting it because you didn't realize there was something on the wall or whatever, and then editing it and then doing whatever it takes to upload it making sure the sound is right and all mm-hmm. of that.
1: As I mentioned, my earlier years in YouTube, I didn't put as much effort into each video, but I was making a lot of videos. So I probably was putting in the same amount of time, right? Back then, it would between edit, because I did all my own editing. You know, I did all my planning the video, which was the part that I skimped on. But it would take me about seven hours to just edit the video. filming two or three hours, depending on some different factors and planning. So each video... And this is, like I said, during my lazy era, would be about maybe 10 hours invested into each video. Now, I probably spend... Just on the script, I can spend two days on a script, just doing all the research, pulling data, doing different edits to the script, practicing the script, it takes a lot of time. And the editing process is even more intricate. And then there's, you got to film B-roll, right? You got to film A-roll. You have to make sure that your data, right? You're you're pulling peer-reviewed journals. And also, I have an editor now, but the process of setting up the video between the script outline and knowing where he should be putting it, B roll and knowing where there should be text on the screen, and he haven't that process alone probably takes me as long as it did for me to edit the videos in the first place, right? So mm-hmm. it's a lot of time, it's a lot of time, it's a lot of effort. I'm just grateful that I enjoy it.
0: I think people may hear this and think to themselves, well, That's too much work, but whatever you're doing for your job, you're having to work a lot. So, <laughs> at least in this situation, you're working for yourself and you get to reap the benefits of that video accumulating views and therefore income indefinitely, which is awesome. Yep. So it's worth it to make it the best quality product available. And also the competition is so high. So you can really separate yourself by doing that back end work, the homework and get a lot of people linking to your video because it's accurate. Yep. 100%. As a case study, you decide you're going to go monk mode. The first time I think was a few years ago, maybe Mm. I don't don't remember exactly when, but I've noticed from being a fan of your channel that you oftentimes will create videos of your own personal life, your own personal experiences. I'm sure those get more views than if you just do an instructional video, Mm. but you kind of blend the two sometimes as well. But I'm not sure if it's the chicken that comes first or the egg. Do you have the idea first? Or do you think I need to come up with some with, some, with a topic and that's going to get a lot of views? What can I do? And this other guy posted something about Mugmo. Well, maybe I'll try it and I'll get some mm-hmm. benefit out of it or whatever. So anyways, let's unpack that. Walk us through as a case study how authentic Does it end up being do you have to like accentuate certain aspects to get more views? And when you're putting it all together and just talk about that, about filming your personal life and what that's like.
1: I guess I'll start with the chicken before the egg question. I 1000 percent always just document my regular life. I've never had an intention to do a life experiment for content. I've never done anything for content ever. And honestly, it probably has been a detriment, right, to my content creator career. I have a good friend, a few good friends who are really successful in the, in the music and entertainment industry. And he's like, yo, you take this authenticity thing a little too far, right? Because this is a part of being a content creator. You kind of got to just like You're playing it a those.
0: character. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I just can't get with that. It just doesn't feel good to my spirit to do that. Mm-hmm. So I just I haven't, right? but my life is like a movie. I don't need to do that. I feel like I don't. Right. So to answer that question, no. Yes. It, everything's been 1000% authentic. Uh, never done anything for content. Fortunately, like I said, the way that I'm wired and, and the things that I'm into and the things that grab my attention are pretty interesting.
0: Talk about the process of that monk mode. What gave you the idea? And did you start filming it right away? Did you try it first? How do you record that? Let's say somebody out there wants to do an experiment of whatever, fasting, and they want to also start a YouTube channel. Walk us through your steps.
1: So what happens is when you when you become a content creator, right, and you've done it long enough, you kind of live in document mode. It's always just, okay, what's going on? I'm just going to document. I probably have documented way more that I haven't posted than I have, for sure, right? Because I just document things. But the idea for monk mode came I was reading Napoleon Hill's Outwitting the, De- the Devil, right? Which was a profound book that changed a lot for me and he spoke about semen retention and the power of, you know, holding that life force energy, right? And transmuting it, right? I think that's what he how he referred to it, sexual transmutation or you, you're, you're transmuting the sexual energy. So that's how the concept was introduced to me and i had just gotten out of a relationship and after i started learning about my patterns and i was in therapy for a while it, initially it was a, it was an attempt for me to break my pattern of like serial monogamy right mm-hmm. serial dating right to give myself a buffer in between that relationship it was like all right well just commit to a hard and i'm a zero or a hundred kind of person like like i don't have a medium speed i'm working on that because this is important but i went you know after that breakup i'm like i need to and i also understand how my mind works i need the accountability i need to have clear boundaries clear perimeters and i have to have outside accountability as well which is why me documenting and sharing has blessed me so much with weight loss, with fitness in general. And I'm, I'm a man of integrity. I, I consider myself a man of virtue. So if I speak it, if I say it, if I claim it, if I teach it, then I have to live it. I have to. There's no negotiating on that. So it is self-serving because I, I know that if I make a video about it, there's absolutely no way that I'm not going to live it, period. So yeah, so the idea came from the, the Napoleon Hill book. I came out of their relationship and I just said, hey, let me just document what this is like. I mean, I did some research on it and people were speaking really highly about their experience with it. And yeah, so I gave it a shot and I documented it. And I think I made a 30-day update video, 60-day, 90-day. And yeah, that content is pretty popular. I'm, I'm in the middle of a one right now. I'm almost 100 days in to this current stint of semen retention.
0: So what is monk mode? Can you break down exactly what your version of monk mode? Because it went beyond just intercourse and, and sex and all that. And it was also not drinking and other yeah. things.
1: Everyone has their own version of monk mode, right? I've had different versions, different seasons of monk mode with different, I guess, requirements or parameters or or what have you. So each one is different. So my first monk mode, it was no television, right? No non-educational television, right? Movies, whatever, right? There were no music with words, no alcohol, no sex, no orgasms at all. Yeah. So that was the first one. I recently, and if we have time, I want to get into this because the last 90 days of my life like has probably been the most transformational quarter of my entire life. Like where I was and my vision for my life and for my brand and all of these things, where I was 90 days ago and where I am today, literally, figuratively, and physically is totally different. Like my life is transformed. And it started by, I started a 30 day, And this was by far the most intense monk mode I've ever done, right? And this was about three months ago. All of those things that I mentioned, right? No TV, no music, no sex, no orgasms. But then I had to do an hour of yoga every single day. I had to do two 20-minute meditation sessions. I had to do three rounds of Wim Hof breathing and a cold shower every day, every single day. And I had to do 100 push-ups, right? All of those things. So this is like a list.
0: It sounds like you're preparing to fight Darth Vader or
1: something. Bro, bro. but let me tell you, it, it, it opened a portal that shifted my entire timeline. It shifted my entire timeline. So yes, it was an intense practice, but there was so much healing that was initiated from that season. And I learned so much about myself. I've leveled up on so many fronts because of it. So that's a part of the reason why I'm such an advocate for this practice, right? But now I'm at day 90 something because I ended up starting over, right? From then. But yeah, so it's been mind-blowing, mind-blowing if I got into the details.
0: I don't want to get too personal, but I know you get personal in your vlogs.
1: I thought you had started seeing
0: someone recently. How do you navigate that with monk mode?
1: What I'm doing right now is not... I'm not in monk mode. I'm doing semen retention.
0: Okay. Same thing. How do you retain your semen when you start semen? Yeah, I, so well? I just
1: don't release. And that's something that I've learned to do over time. Kind of dulling the blade.
0: What are the mechanics of, of that? I'm sure it's not as easy as it sounds.
1: No. No. It took, it took time. Right? <laughs> There's a practice called edging. You have sex up until you feel yourself about to release and then you just stop and you kind of regroup and then you go back and you kind of do that, right? But over time, you start to build the, I guess, resistance and the control. So I've been practicing that for a while, right? It's been about three years that I've been practicing edging because even, e- even when I'm sexually active and I'm not in quote unquote monk mode or I'm not in semen retention mode, I'm still very mindful about how often I release. Like I don't just release, even when I'm not in monk mode, I don't release every time. I probably release one out of maybe three times period Like at all times. So I've practiced the edging and now it's, I'm not going to lie and say it's not, it is challenging, but I've, I feel like I've, I want to, I want to go on. Do I want to say this? Yeah. I've mastered it. I think I've mastered it.
0: What's the prologue you have to give to your partner? so that they're also holding that space for you and not feeling offended or not feeling any kind of way that you're mm-hmm. not. Cause that's a part of the experience I'm sure for the other person, right? Sure.
1: I'm a communicator, right? So before sex is even on the table, these conversations are, are had right about my lifestyle, right. And my beliefs and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So the preliminary, very early conversations kind of take care of it. It plants the seed. And I also educate, right? The person I'm dating right now is significantly younger than me. So I've been educating her on this stuff and she gets it. She understands it. So she doesn't take it personally, but I, I have had issues with that in the past where it, it, it affects their self-esteem and that sort of thing. But I honestly think it, it's made me a better lover, to be honest.
0: You've also been known to bring your partners into your vlogs. How has that worked out for you? Do Is that something you recommend to content creators to involve the whole family and also partners?
1: It depends on how thick your skin is. It depends on how okay you are with your humanness. Because, you know, for instance, people have gotten on, you know, Kim K for over the years for having all of these partners and been have been married so many times. but. A lot of people do that. When it's in public, it's just different, right? Everyone has an opinion. So it just depends on how you deal with scrutiny from the public. I, I personally don't care. It doesn't bother me. I know myself. I know my heart. I know my intentions. I know my partners. Me and my partners have, have no bad blood with any person I've ever been. So I mean, it, it just depends. I'm going to continue to do it.
0: It's kind of a way to hold yourself accountable too, because you put yourself out there like that. You kind of have to follow through on whatever it is that you're talking about. At least you think about that in the back of your mind. Yeah, for sure. So now we have a specific topic, NoFap, Monk Mode, and you're creating videos and content regularly. When you dive into a subject like that, is this something that as a content creator, you would revisit multiple times, especially if you see that it gets a lot of attention from your audience, or is it like a one and done, I'm moving on to the next thing, I gotta be more creative type of a situation?
1: Like I said, like I live and then I document. I should ha- be more intentional than I am, but I don't. It just doesn't feel authentic. It just feels forced. And I can't do things that feel forced. So the seasons of monk mode, Come when they come, and that's when excuse the excuse the pun there <laughs> and that's when I make videos about it, right? It's not like I'm like, oh man, I need to revisit this monk mode or the semen retention topic. Let me do a monk mode stint. No, it just doesn't work like that. I kind of just i'm a very i live intuitively, and I just document
0: for the women listening to this, is there a female equivalent of monk mode? Is it useful for a woman to do something like this?
1: I think it's useful, but not in the same ways as it is for men, right? For men, it's the transmutation of the life force energy. Mm-hmm. I don't think it works that way. I think it's good for creating space for themselves to focus on themselves in the in heal and that sort of thing. But I don't think the physiological and spiritual benefits are equivalent, not based on what I've researched.
0: Going back to the YouTube stuff, you want to get to a million subscribers. So what are you going to do now to get these 200 and what is it? 49,000 mm-hmm. subscribers or however I'm many there to, are.
1: I'm going to treat every video like I have one swing at saving the lives of my audience. Right? If I had one chance to make the most impactful video, that's the energy I'm going into every single video. And that's how I'm going to achieve that goal.
0: So now you're planning, you're pre-planning the video days out, perhaps even weeks out. You have a team working for you.
1: Yes, all of it. There's so much back and sweat that goes into each of these videos now. And I'm just far more intentional. I figured out the formula. So I'm excited.
0: What are some other ways to monetize this channel? You mentioned merchandise earlier. How's that working?
1: Merch does well. But what didn't do well for me was starting my own clothing line, because it's a big difference. And I'm going to share this with any perspective or, or aspiring content creators or YouTubers. There's a big difference between selling merch and selling a clothing line. It's a separate brand. right? Your merch is attached to your brand, which is already established if you have an audience. But if you launch a clothing line, it has its own identity that you have to promote and familiarize the folks with. It's not just this automatic, oh, Brick started a clothing line. Let me support it. It didn't work like that. And I thought it did because my merch sold like crazy. I would sell out every single time I had merch. So that was a big lesson. But yeah, so merch definitely has been, you know, I've been successful with merch, obviously collaborating with brands, right? Getting sponsored content. Membership community, downloadables, like digital products, courses, coaching. Sometimes I'll do consultations. Like I'll pay people will pay me for an hour of my time. And that's another way.
0: Do you get paid to go to gyms and work out and film yourself working out in people's gyms and things like that?
1: No, I just get free gym memberships.
0: And how many subs do you have to have before you start to then branch off into those other areas, get merch going and get the online courses, the downloadables and all that?
1: It depends a lot on your niche. It depends on the space that you're in because Uh like my best friend is a YouTuber as well. And he made a million dollars on his channel before he even reached 10,000 subscribers. So it depends on your space, right? But he also teaches financial education to entrepreneurs that says a lot about the ability to monetize that audience. So it depends, right? And it also depends on the the type of relationship that you have with your audience. Like if your relationship with your audience is deep, you don't have to have a million subscribers. You can have a couple thousand subscribers if 75% of them are supporting whatever you're putting out, right? And you have a 10, 20, $50 product, then yeah, you can make a living off of... 10,000 subscribers, right? So it just depends. It, there's a lot of factors that goes into that.
0: And to cultivate that deep relationship, you have to be all up in the comments all the time. Is that how it works?
1: That's a big part of it initially when you're building a foundation, right? A lot of my audience was grassrooted. I would respond to every single comment. I would ask every single person to subscribe. But it, I think it also has to do with the heart in your content. My, I guess, formula... For connecting with my audience is my transparency and my vulnerability. I share things that a lot of creators are afraid to share. And I think that's why I connect so well with my audience.
0: Beautiful. Last few questions. I want to hear what was your biggest mistake as a creator? What was your biggest challenge and what was your mm. luckiest break? So you yeah. can start with mistake. Your biggest mistake that you can reflect back on. And...
1: I have such a good relationship with failure, mm-hmm. like that I hate to even call it a mistake. But to answer it, because I know what you're asking me, I yeah, something was,
0: you would do differently if you knew better now.
1: I, I wouldn't do. I don't live like that, you know. <laughs> I really don't, and that's that's just an honest response to that. Like I don't have regrets. I wouldn't change anything. I feel like everything is divine. So, I wouldn't change anything. But to give you a response, I would say I would have put this level of intention into my videos a lot sooner if I can go back and do anything different. But I wouldn't even do that because I probably wasn't ready for the success that I'm about to experience had I started sooner. Right. So, it feels divine. Everything is in divine timing.
0: I love that. Biggest challenge.
1: I've been in relationships with partners who didn't handle the attention well. So on the personal life front, right, that was a big challenge, right? I feel like one of my relationships, the social media thing is probably the reason why it didn't work. But again, it was supposed to work out that way. And I think also healing and growing in front of the world is hard. It is hard. But at the same time, it's something that I'm very comfortable doing. Like, you know, I'm a delusional optimist. So everything's going to kind of feel like it serves me because it really does. Like, I feel like it all serves me. But yeah, I think the challenge of healing and growing and being so transparent in front of of the audience, the challenges in that is by design. It all feels like a part of the puzzle, you know, for sure. You know, so again, I hate that. These are just my honest responses to that. I'm really good at manipulating my perspective on things, but it doesn't even feel like manipulation. This is just my default way of viewing things for sure.
0: And then luckiest break.
1: Definitely that viral video, the initial transformation video going viral, because that's the thing that set everything off. So that had to be my luckiest break and how it came together so effortlessly. That wasn't me. (laughs) It definitely wasn't me. It definitely was a lucky break.
0: What can we do to support your mission? Of It's not about getting to a million. It's really about impact. And the million is just a reflection of the impact you're having. But how can we help you in that mission?
1: I think for anyone listening, check out my content and give me feedback. Tear mm-hmm. it apart. right? That's how you can help me the most. right? Give me insight on how I can be better, how I can serve you better.
0: I love that. It's so spiritually mature to you, man. You just lifted the bar for all of us. Mm,
1: thanks. Man. Thank that you so much. Lot, that means a lot coming from you, Light. Like, for, for, for real.
0: <laughs> I feel like anybody asking for raw feedback, you're really putting yourself in a in a higher tier of soul growth and spiritual development. So thanks for reflecting that back for myself as well as for the audience. Thank you. Yeah, man. And we got to get you back down to Mexico City soon, too.
1: For sure, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. What's
0: the plan now? Like we last time I talked, you were going to spend more time in Mexico. Is, there, is the plan shifted to something else?
1: Yeah. So I don't know if I shared this with you, but maybe about six weeks ago, I was in meditation. I came out of meditation with something like an alarm going off in my spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was around my kids, right? And it was a a nudge to revisit the conversation with my kids' mom about my role as their dad, right? Because she was always the primary parent. Right. So there was a lot of things that happened that I kind of was like, hey man, a lot of that's out of my control. So let me just kind of play this, this role, this little pocket, focus on your mission, you know, make sure that you can pay for everyone's college and kind of let her handle the day to day. But in meditation, right, and this was after I put a deposit down on my apartment in Playa del Carmen. Right. Mm-hmm. In meditation, I felt the inspiration to revisit the conversation. And I talked to her about it and I asked her, I said, Hey, you know, I'm I'm seeing some things specifically with my son that I'm feeling concerned about, that I feel like I need to prepare him for manhood, right? He's 15, he's he has another three years until he's an adult. And there's certain lessons and habits and things that he needs and tools, right? Mm-hmm. Tools he needs that he didn't have. Right. And I seen the path that he was on. So I asked her, I'm like, Hey, this is coming from source. This is coming from a divine inspiration. And I just like, I'm just kind of throwing this out there. You know, I would love for you to give me custody of my son. And she cried. And, and but long story short, I ended up getting full custody of my son. So two days ago, me and him moved into a house here in Virginia. So that was one of the biggest shifts that came out of that monk mode period that I talked about, that intense 30 days, right? Because I'm deep into meditation. I'm journaling. I'm off social media. Oh, that part too. That was another huge part. Like I'm limiting my social media contact. I have a team, so I can still have my presence. But yeah, so that was a huge shift. So now I'm a full-time dad, right? I have my son, which I haven't had full custody of my son since he was five years old. So this is a, this is a huge shift. So I'm here in Virginia, but I'm excited about it. It doesn't feel like a sacrifice. It feels like this is where I should be. Like right now in this season of my life, this is what I should be doing. And I'm excited about it.
0: Beautiful. So you're there indefinitely then. Yep. You have had so many different iterations, living in a van and Let me tell traveling you, the I, world.
1: You know what's <laughs> happened recently too, over the last three months? I've done so much healing that my motor has changed, right? The van life saga and me always traveling and me not being able to sit my ass down, it was me trying to fill a void. And I realize that now because now all I crave is simplicity. I crave. I don't want any attention. I just want to live a simple life connected to nature where I can protect my rituals. I can do my meditation and my yoga every day and eat healthy food and have fresh produce. These are the only things that matter to me now, right? Mm -hmm. And now I have this vision now, I want a family. I want to do it again. That was never the case for me ever. It wasn't the case. That is all I want now. I don't want to travel anymore. I don't want to become this big traveling jet setting. Like, I don't want to do that shit anymore. I have zero desire for it anymore. So, it's just been that's one of the biggest shifts. And we'll have more conversations about this stuff, man. But my entire vision for my future has changed significantly over the last 90 days.
0: Love it, man. Well, we have our homework. Go to your channel, which is called Bricks Fitness on YouTube and check out your content and give you our feedback. And together, we'll make this mission happen and you'll be at a million subs by the end of the year and you'll yep. be sending all of us our royalty checks for helping you make that happen
1: <laughs> thanks thanks in advance. thanks in events.
0: yes 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 all right bro it's good to see you man as always Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Bricks Fitness. For more inspiration, please subscribe to his YouTube channel, which is Bricks Fitness. And as he requested, check out some of his videos and offer some constructive feedback. You can also follow Bricks on the socials. It's at Bricks Fitness. And of course, I'll drop links to everything that we discussed in the show notes on my website, which is slash podcast. And speaking of feedback, Since you're in the spirit of sharing your thoughts, please, please leave a review for my podcast, The Light Watkins Show. It's honestly the best way that you can support this show because, look, let's just be completely transparent. One of the ways that a potential guest will vet this podcast after I invite them to come onto the show is they'll go to the actual podcast page and they'll look and see how many reviews and ratings does this show have. And that tells that potential guest that this podcast is one that people are engaging with, they're listening to it, they're commenting on it, and that it's worth their time to accept my invitation to come on. So if you want me to bring on the best guests possible, all you have to do is take 10 seconds to rate this podcast. Just look down at your screen right now Click on the name of the show, scroll down past those first seven or eight episodes. You'll see a space with five blank stars. Leave us a five-star rating. And if you want to go the extra mile, write a one-line review about what you appreciate in these conversations. Thank you so much in advance for that. You can also watch these interviews on my YouTube channel. If you want to put a face to uh, personality, just search Light Watkins podcast on YouTube and you'll see the entire playlist. And if you didn't already know, I post the raw unedited version of every podcast in my Happiness Insiders online community. So if you're the type that likes to hear all the mistakes and the false starts and the chit-chat in the beginning and the end of each episode, you can listen to all of that by joining my online community at thehappinessinsiders.com. Not only will you have access to the unedited versions of the podcast, but you'll also have access to my 108-day meditation challenge, along with other challenges and masterclasses for becoming the best version of you. All right. I look forward to hopefully seeing you back here next week with another story about someone just like me, just like you, taking a leap of faith in the direction of their purpose. Until then, keep trusting your intuition. Keep following your heart. Keep taking those leaps of faith in your life. It's super important. And if no one's told you recently that they believe in you, I believe in you. Thank you and have a great day. you want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day, then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email. You'll join 30,000 other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote that's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at lightwatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again. Just go to lightwatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.